Good afternoon, good evening, good metal. My name's Coop and welcome to the Spoken Metal Show. This episode is a listen-in episode where we take an album and we listen to it together. We also do a little bit of a history of it and uh, kind of look inside and delve a little bit deeper, a bit more of a deeper dive with with a particular album. We've done the Black Album, we've done Hell Awaits by Metallica and by Slayer respectively. With it being its anniversary, it seemed only right to do Judas Priest's Defenders of the Faith. It's the ninth studio album by The Priest, uh, released on the uh, 4th of January in 1984 by Columbia. It's since gone platinum, as, as, as most of the albums around that particular time did. Uh, spawned three singles, Free Will Burnings, Meds Are Gonna Roll and Love Bites. Um, real important album for, for Judas Priest, mainly because it followed from Screaming for Vengeance. With uh, Screaming for Vengeance was... A huge album for Priest because it essentially broke America um, for them with the the song "You've Got Another Thing Coming" just exploding, and so they were in a very much in a a circle of record tour tour record record tour record tour record tour record tour where they would go back and forth as a lot of bands would do where they would record an album, then they would tour and then they would go back in and record another album and it's quite. The, pretty much Priest did that for, for quite some time. They only took a break for about a year after they um, they recorded Defenders of the Faith, and in that time it was to do uh, the Live Aid in, in, in Philadelphia. So they were coming off the back of an incredible amount of success from Screaming for Vengeance, critically, uh, commercially successful album. And so the, there was, the expectations were high. If they'd have fucked it up, they probably would have... You faded into the background if if, if Defenders hadn't have been the, that bigger uh, an album. It, it may have been a case that they were faded a little bit uh, into into the background. Maybe even seen as one hit wonders, which is ridiculous when you think about it. But maybe you've seen that in that sort of light. Screw for Vengeance was a crystallization of a lot of things for Judas Priest. In the artwork, which we'll go into in a minute, uh, the writing. The, the 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 quality of the production, everything kind of came together and, and Scream for Vengeance is often seen as one of the, the favourite albums of Priest fans along obviously with British Steel. But it was Judas Priest's uh, Scream for Vengeance that really transitioned them over into a more popular sort of world and gained them a lot more uh, a lot more listeners and they moved from being support to doing their own their own bigger shows, certainly when they tour for Defense of the Faith, they're playing in 15, 16, 70,000 seated venues but so defensive it comes off the back of that so that's quite a large expectation but during the writing process of scream for vengeance there's some stuff that that, that carries over um the the, the certain songs that, that, that they've been kind of writing like rock hard Wrath 3 was was originally called something else on, on scream for vengeance and then moved over to to being used in and there's an awful a lot of uh similarities between the two they're often seen as uh, or referred to as the bookended Priest albums, the very similar cuff and the very similar cloth, and we'll go, you know, we'll go into that in in, in more detail uh, as we go through it. So, in a point of time, you're thinking '84 is a huge time for metal, huge time for metal, and a great time for bands like, especially with, you know, with with Live Aid and, and bands crossing over and becoming more accessible and more viewed by more people as as you know, videos and stuff become a really big way of seeing your band and things like that, like the the uh, you got another thing coming videos everywhere as 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 is the song, but it's screaming. It sits in between. Uh, sorry, defender sits in between screaming and turbo, and and we'll talk about turbo later. 
But Turbo, a lot of people have seen as as a, as a failing, as a kind of removing away from Judas Priest's initial mandate and their metal stance, and it's a more pop and experimental and sense. And we'll get into that. But so this album kind of sits in between those two as well as a, as as a move before they do Turbo. But let's take a little bit of a look at uh, the first thing that most people recognise from that album, and it's the cover art, the the medallion or the big sort of lion, tiger, whatever you, you want to say, um, is by uh, by Doug Johnson. Doug Johnson is a fantastic, fantastic artist. You know, when he was doing some some great stuff, he was a he was a fashion illustrator originally and did some stuff with Sports Illustrated. But he kind of brought all that, that look that, you know, Screaming and Turbo had uh, with all the kind of the lines and things like that, and the the isometric logo for for Judas Priest when it moved into that like isometric logo, which is still you know a lot I think that they carry through to even today, you know, and, and very much like a video game. It was really branding branding before it really got on board with, with bands, and it was a move away from you know um, Laszlo Slabo who did Point of Entry previously and, and British Steel. They wanted to move away and do something else, and 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 Doug's really, you know, he now he does he does stuff on Broadway. He's like set designer, stage designer for Broadway. He's won Tony Awards and what have you. But at the time, he was very much in that, uh, you know, illustration and 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 fashion world, and he really captured a great look that lasted through, um, Scream of Vengeance. Defense of the Faith, and then Turbo with the, the gear stick uh, of Turbo. It was only after Turbo, which obviously Turbo needed them, well, some people thought that it may need them to reinvent themselves, and that's why we got Ram It Down, and the artwork is noticeably different. But that initial uh, initial rebranding of the logo, and rebranding of the look of, of the album, which is, which is synonymous with the Defense of the Faith, is a really great... Uh, you, all the best great bands like Iron Maiden and what have you and Megadeth have those uh, people like Eddie or Vic Rattlehead. They have all these icons and these characters and they play with those characters. And there's a long line of Judas Priest characters. You know, this one is the, is the metal and what you think of the Nightcrawler and the Sentinel and people like that. It's wonderfully evocative uh, things of metal. I missed that about metal where they, you know, they kind of, Bring those characters back, those those wonderful characters, because it's always very difficult to sum up what do you how what is the cover of the defenders of, of of the faith? What do you, do you have some kind of flag system or something like that? I don't know what you do. That's a pretty team. It works absolutely perfectly, and it kind of covers over if you've got the the vinyl that goes onto the back as well. And and the cover, I mean, you think about the 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 little blurb that it has to to describe the cover, which is you know I quote uh, rising from the darkness where hell have no mercy and the screams for vengeance clue echo on forever. Only those who keep the faith shall escape the wrath of the metal and mess, master of all metal. Um, end quote. And so there's lovely sort of umbrella terms to 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 put the whole album under. A lot of people argue that there isn't. There isn't singles on this album. They, those people are, are fucking wrong. Like it, or there isn't anything as strong as maybe you've got another. Thing. Free Will Burn is the first song of the album. It's the first single as well. It's a fucking massive song, and they play that a, a lot. So that's that's ridiculous. Going to the recording of it, it's recorded at Ibiza Sound Studios, um, the same as uh, uh, Scream for Vengeance, Point of Entry, and and it was very much uh, to be comfortable and, and almost hedonistic. They talk about it being almost uh, hedonistic, sort of. 
uh, vibe where everybody's just drinking and pre- presumably taking drugs and all the other. So, and it was very much relaxed and it made them, you know, bring out the best in it. I mean, not many people record at Ibiza Sound Studios, Boomtown Rats and stuff like that have. Um, but it was very much a comfortable area, you know, where they could write away from everything else, come together. I, I always talk about this, though. I love bands when they come together under one roof and for a certain period of time, in this case, between September and November of 83, they record uh, an album together collectively. I always prefer that. Um, and so, yeah, th- 39 minutes, 43, it's like 40 minutes album. Um, and obviously there were some things that carried over into other albums. They talk about stuff that was rotated that, that wasn't right and kind of made it into other albums. And it was also produced by Tom Ollum. Tom Ollum cannot be understated how important uh, he, he is into, into Judas Priest's whole history and sound. I mean, they recorded with him since 79, you know, and, and you know, Tom understands the, the, the genre beautifully. He was an engineer on the, the first three sad boards, but he, uh, you know, he, he also, you know, works on other things, he works on Def Leppard on through the night. So, you know, for me, it, 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 he was the, You've, he was that guy that, that crystallized everything, brought it all together. He had this wonderful idea, and he pulled it all together to and, and produced, you know, a very much a Judas Priest sound that they had in Scream for Vengeance and 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 then in Defenders of the Faith. And I will talk about those two albums collectively because they're almost one and the same face, if you will. Mixed at the Coconut Grove, um, nothing really special to 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 speak of there. Um, it's it's a when you especially listen when you listen to the remastered versions, superb recording of of everybody on there, and it's superb great metal sound, a metal crossover sound where it can also play on go on the radio very 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 easily. And they they went straight back, you know, on on tour after after the recording. I think it's an absolutely ridiculous touring cycle, as we say. You know, uh, when it debuted as well, it debuted on uh, uh, one spot below where Scream for Vengeance debuted. So it was very much a one two punch of um one two punch of of one success after another it was successful it was critically successful in 84 they go out on the 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 metal uh conqueror tour as well and this is you know between the the, the 20th of january and the 13th of september it's like 125 shows um and like i say with only the one year break afterwards we'll do play the live aid in philly this warm-up shows with Europe, um, in with Europe, in Europe with Quiet Riot as warm-up shows, and then went on tour during the Europe cycle with Ted Nugent and Raven, and then they go to North America uh, and they take out Great White and uh, Kick Axe if you're uh, if you're familiar with, with that band, and one of the uh, the overriding things that comes from from that is the is the the Madison Square show. Uh, Square, Madison Square Garden show, I should say, where, you know, we'll talk, I think I'll talk about that after we listen to to, to the album because that's in itself is uh, is a particularly big part of the Defenders story, if you will. Um, but it, it's, you know, it's it, it's often seen overshadowed as well by the also the, the you know, the, the Filthy 15, which we'll talk about when we get to those songs, possibly when we go through the albums, the Filthy 15 uh, on one of the songs of uh, the PMRC basically charge Jewish priests and a whole other uh, group of artists with, with, with obscenity and, and, and what have you. Um, 
But this album, Defenders, as Rob says, quote unquote, we really were riding that same train, if you will. Um, so I'd, I'd agree that those two records are cut from the same cloth. Um, and and it's very much that the, the, these two albums m- could almost come together. We could almost do Tree of Vengeance and Defenders of the Faith. We could almost do the two of them together uh, and you would see that. And and that's why maybe someone some see it as the, 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 the downer side of the two of them, like a load and reload. You know, people don't give maybe reload the credit it deserves and because uh, it was meant to be released as double album. Maybe this could have been a double album. Certainly Judas Priest Turbo was intended to be a double album and it didn't make it to that. So for me, it was it was a very much a proven moment for, for Judas Priest, one of the, which by their longevity and the fact that they're still around proves that it was a successful album. I think it's it's pretty perfect. It's certainly one of my favourite Judas Priest albums. We'll go into the Madison Square Garden incident and maybe the PMRC, the Filthy 15, after we listen to the album, because I think there's some stuff there worth listening to. Uh, first, to put it in context, so you can hear, like, Eat Me Alive and draw up your own conclusions. Judas Priest's Defense of the Faith will always be seen as a classic metal album. It's, it's The fans also believe it to be one of the best Judas Priest albums. It's one of the few albums that they've played uh, all the songs off as well. There's no weak songs on here. The songs that you know will 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 come up regularly in time again in their set lists. So what we're going to do now is we're going to listen to the album in its full. I will commentate over the album. You want to listen to it however you want to listen it to. I will give you some kind of signal. I have to figure out a signal, don't I, ladies and gentlemen? I have to figure out a signal to kind of tell you what I'm going to do when I'm going to do it. And we're going to go through the album and talk about various parts of it. Okay, if you're sitting comfortably, then we will begin. I'll give you a shout when we're we're good to go. And we're going to start the album now. Okay, if we're all sitting comfortably, then I will begin. Okay, I'm going to tell you when. We're going to go with the Defenders of the Faith, listening in full. Uh, Judas Priest's Defenders of the Faith, and we're going to start now. And there it is, the opening single, opening song, um, Free Will Burning, Judas Priest. And that's just classic of the voice screaming in it, Rob. And it's just, you know, still pre-ish, thrashy sort of days. It's still the faster tempos, but it's delivered quite quickly by Rob. And don't be fooled, this is a really difficult riff to get right, especially if you twin guitar on it. On to lead. Which is huge. How can someone say this isn't a big single, like? A lot of songs on Jewish Priest albums follow the uh, the motorcycle, and that was very much part of the stage set. Rob always coming out on the, the bike uh, for freewheel burning or whatever, or maybe you're hellbent for leather. We'll talk about how that affected the Madison Square Garden show as well. Um, but this is a great Priest song because he also does that wonderful thing uh, coming up soon where he kind of talks very, very fast. <laughs> which is almost the kind of precursor to thrash with breakneck speed and high octane. That's a great sort of pre-chorus. 
like Rob's vocals, as as we have often covered, are just otherworldly. They're just you know massive spectrum and uh, the echo and stuff that he puts on and and the the, the, the range he's got. It's, it's it's always surprising. It's always amazing. This is the bit I'm talking about. That look before you leave. Kind of thrash, right? Kind of before thrash and speed metal and shouting or screaming fast. What a voice. There might be more elements of me saying nothing here as I just literally sit and enjoy the album. That sound there, that, that that's very, very, very much cinnamonous with uh, with with Judas Priest and Glenn and KK. And there's the harmony. And they do this wonderful building now where they have this harmony and it it, it, it builds and builds this now. Da, 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 da. Listen, who, who are just epic, just an epic, epic song. And then right back in. Still stand the tune, I believe, as well. And there's that vocal line again. And I think you can, obviously, we can see exactly what where that led us to. You know, you do that a bit more aggressively and you, the guitars are a little bit more aggressive and you have thrash metal. And that's what Judas Priest did. They brought the tempos up. There's not an ounce of fat on this song. It is literally everything that needs to get the message done, isn't it? It's an epic. It's one of the great Judas Priest songs. It's it simply is uh, one of the great Judas Priest songs, and that's a that's a, that's how you open a fucking album. Almost kind of like explosions in the background. And then it's Jawbreaker. That's a that's a very Tipton Rifter. And so evocative, you know, such a, an evocative. You know, Rob really takes credit. If you read his book, Confess, which I strongly suggest you do, he really believes in the lyrics that are, you know, articulated well and clear and concise and makes sense. And although maybe not as breakneck as Free Will Burn, and still like there's a there's a momentum to that, right? There's a momentum to Jawbreaker, most definitely. And it's that 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 what you're hearing now is the, the Judas Priest's equivalent to Maiden's Gallop. 
you can hear that in quite a lot of songs in the back catalogue and the, 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 the catalogue entirely, that kind of running movement that, the, you know, that Maiden has as a gallop. And this has got a great... I mean, the whole album's a treat for guitar players front and centre in this, like... All the kind of crazy bar work and stuff and the more Hendrixy based stuff is KK for the most part. And then more the control stuff and the more... Uh, lyrically stuff is, is is generally speaking Glenn and it's a really nice mix there's just so much playing on this album so much guitar playing such a well constructed lead And that's you know this the that this song could have appeared you know after Electric Eye or whatever on um, Scream for Vengeance it could have appeared on there and you can totally see the the DNA and it's the DNA is because it's the same people playing on the album. That's a great song and a great second song as well, really establishing what's going on and you know just getting really getting the the song concrete, done and dusted. You know, perfect songs. There's no weight on it's on, on a song at all. It's app. It's no. There's no fat on it at all. They love that Rob Alford screaming, don't they? It's rightly they fucking should. Listen to this intro. This is one of the best. Just rock hard, ride free. Which was uh, called the Fight for Your Life uh, originally when it was when it was first being wrote. Listen to the harmony. How I mean, how good is that? If you don't think that's amazing, what the fuck? And that just... Rob Halford's delivery is just absolutely on the money, isn't it? And there's that Judas Priesty sort of gallop run, if you will. And we will never do down down huge chorus. You could just you know you see any of the shows around that time. There's a couple of shows that have been, have been released subsequently on the especially on the thirtieth edition, and the crowd are absolutely singing along for that. This is arena metal, 
you know, when you're playing to 15, 16,000 people, how do you, you get across to what you're doing? You have to have these huge, huge choruses. It's absolutely like classic, absolute classic. And then the slight shift. And another massive solo section. No, my microphone hasn't stopped working. I'm just listening to... That might be one of the greatest, along with Beyond uh, the Realms of Death, Judas Priest solos that are out there. It had as absolutely everything. And is, is that not the one of the, some of the greatest metal playing you've ever heard in your life? Yes, it is. It is the, some of the greatest metal playing you've ever heard in your life. How good is that solo? How good? How well-crafted? And then to come back into to that, you know, to, to come back from that, it's, it's, it's superb playing. It's pro and we're only three songs in, and you've had like some of the best playing in metal, full stop. That's how you 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 know that that's a great sort of album. I mean, this is, if you listen to uh, as a, as an LP, you have Free Will Bear and Jawbreaker, Rock Hard, Right Free, and the Settler all on the first side. You could stop there, and that'd be a great album. You could be that would be enough. That would be enough. Superb, superb. Easily, I bet maybe I would. Dare I say one of Judas Priest's underrated classics as well? You don't hear about it a lot, but it's definitely fucking up there. But then you get one of the greatest metal songs, one of the greatest songs of all time. Certainly one of the greatest Judas Priest songs. I'm probably going to be quiet. Thankfully, you may what I say during this Sentinel.
a long deserted avenue, a steam begins to rise. The figure's proud and ready. Prepare for a quick surprise. I'm just in a long line of classic Judas Priest guys uh, and characters, the Sentinel. Just you, what an amazing song. Condemned to hell. Just for the intro alone, it's classic metal intro, certainly for Judas Priest as well, but they just fucking go into that, that Judas Priest chug, as I've said, like before, you know. A Sentinel is is something that you don't... I don't know if they play as much as, as they used to, but this was a staple for their set because they had that, like, the seven-break guitar solo, which there's no way I'm fucking talking over. Such... So well-crafted, especially if you learn to play this on guitar. There's so many lovely parts to it. Got a great middle eight this song as well. And this anybody who has seen Priest in those sort of days will know that this is when KK and 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 Rob and and Glenn would would come together and kind of headbang at the same sort of thing. Like here we go. Just wonderful. Just I cannot listen to that enough. It's absolutely superb. And you get this wonderful shimmering middle eight with great lyrics. Sing one another. And all the last silence falls as the melody scissors chime. Keyboards and synth there, you can hear that as well. The prelude into to turbo. Dreams of pain and agony rent the silent air. It's me trying to sing on to Rob Alford behave. The figure stands expressionless, impassive and alone. Unmoved by his victory and the seeds of death he's sown. Fuck you, amazing. But as you can hear, there are synth stuff and keyboard parts going on there. So, you know, they didn't, you know, people say Turbo was a step too far. You could hear where they were stepping around it. That's, that for me, it might be one of the great Judas Priest songs. It's got to be in the top 10, right? Top five. Got to be, got to be. If you're a Judas Priest fan, am I wrong? Does, does it not make your top five? What the fuck does? Just so I know. Bear 
And if you ever watch the Jesus Priest live and the Fuel for Life tour, you see them playing that. That's a, a very much a definitive version of that. With KK with his glasses on, the reason apparently he had the glasses on is because the guitar thing got in his got in his eye and cut his eye and stuff. Apparently, that's a crazy story. So you would be flipping over your your your, your LP, your vinyl. If you had that now, but we're going to go straight into Love Bites, and that's got that once again. It's slightly messed with Ian Hill bass line. It's one of the only Ian Hill intros. I think that this and the rage of a of, of a an intro by Ian Hill, and there's. This is a single, you know, this is this is a, uh, definitely wrote for single purposes and there's not an awful lot going on here. It's very, very sparse. But it made it into the, the set quite a lot, certainly during the Fuel for Life tour. This is for this noise. Hear that noise? So that like clanking there. We had uh, Mark Dodson on the show a couple of shows ago. He's an engineer and producer and what have you. And he was telling us that that was done by dragging like an, an axe along a, a cobblestone thing or a, a, like a, a sword or an axe or something, a cobblestone thing. They were still experiment with with sounds and stuff. That happened in, in British Steel with the tray for the people marching and that type of thing. There's all these little things that where they did, they were still experimenting. They were still trying things out. You know, maybe it did jump too far with Turbo. Maybe it did. But they were always experimenting and, and trying different paints and colours to to bring out more of the pre-sound and make it fuller and more complete. And live, they, they did something different. With the, with this song, like I think maybe they thought that there were, it, maybe it was too simple, or it could be it just grew out of maybe playing it live a lot. I'll tell you about its section as it comes up now. Two white love bites, and they would extend this quite a lot, like real playing for the song purpose is not overplaying here at all you could go crazy with this with the guitar solos and they don't think they play it really nicely mm -hmm. you know the guitar come in So yeah, those are those are like you know synth bass notes. So the, no one said shit about it then, like. But I think maybe they took it too far, like man. And that big gong, uh, Dave Holland had on it on the back of the drums. He would hit. Makes you means you can have a gong then, doesn't it? <laughs> Every drummer wants that gong on the back. Except with the hour. And he does a wonderful higher range thing in a mouth. Rob does. There we go. 
And it's it, it's a real straightforward song that maybe sometimes gets forgotten about a little bit. Like, is it too is it a little dated because of the synth stuff? I don't think so. But yeah, it can sometimes gets forget forgotten about. But it was in a set a hell of a lot around the eighties and nineties. It's a great song. It's a, it's a slower burner song, if you will, like, you know. With, with Rob's Yelps. One of the best voices in metal. One of the best voices. One of those songs they maybe don't know how to end. <laughs> it keeps going. I need you can hear the studio fade come in now. So now we get to the one they got in trouble for. So this is Eat Me Alive. Eat Me Alive. Rob talks about in Confess, his book, as I talk about sneaking in those references to, you know, to sex and stuff like that. In in, in this case, like oral sex and you know this was before rob comes out as being gay and in his book he talks quite a lot about it how you know obviously it's ridiculous now that we see that that, that but at the time they were he was it was closeted because they thought that people wouldn't be able to handle it and they would lose lose fans but every so often they would stick insert little thing bits and pieces into into it, songs and, and albums and and you know they knew what they were doing with this, and and the whole the whole band knew what they were doing with, with this. They do you know obviously well aware of 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 Rob, uh, you know the the person he was and is, and the things he did. And so they were they weren't embarrassed. They just let him you know get on with what he does. And some stuff made it out, and some stuff didn't. And Henry Rollins does a funny sketch about how um, he. It was friends with RuPaul and he would play with the fact that people thought that he was gay or they were a couple and he would obviously kind of mess with that, mess with people's minds a little bit. But there was a genuine fear around it at that time that if Rob came out, uh, that he would lose fans. And obviously we know that now to be ridiculous now because it is it is ridiculous. So, you know, uh, but there are obviously a lot of uh, signposts to Rob's sexuality throughout the the, the albums, and Eat Me Alive is one is one of those. At the end of the day, it's 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 whatever you really want to interpret it to be, you know, Matt, and that's fine too. Listen to the guitar playing, listen to the playing of the songs, the quality of the song. The dive bomb there. Me alive.
It's all very, very, you know, tropes, very Judas Priest tropes and things that they brought in, you know, in Screaming and before that kind of gallop that we talk about. It's all there. You know, it's overshadowed by the by the, the, the controversy, Eat Me Alive, to what is simply a great song, great Judas Priest song. And then the, the the moving from this into the next song is is absolutely superbly done. It's such a well crafted album with Tom Allen on production duties. Because you get this wonderful chord at the beginning of "Are Gonna Roll." Listen to that. How sumptuous that chord is. Straight in. So this is a song wrote by uh, Robert Halligan Jr. You know, he, he also wrote Take These Chains or Take These Brackets Chains uh, and a twist on Rob's, uh, Rob's, on Rob's uh, Resurrection album. He, so they're not too strangers to co-writing stuff, you know, and playing other people's songs. Uh, and this feels different, this, uh, this song, So Meds Are Gonna Roll. It feels, it's still Priest, obviously. It's still got those Priest tropes that we talked about, but it's, it's this, wonderfully written the song man with the power good great riff great riff so bam then burn down Just it feels like these these songs very much feel like they're riffing off the back of you got another thing coming and really ready made for radio, ready made for arena audiences. You know they knew they got to the point learning how to get to the point really really quickly. The layering of Rob's vocals there, amazing. You could cycle that forever, couldn't you? Like I'm Broken by Vanteria, you could cycle that over and over and over again. But they don't, naturally. You know what it's like to be taken for granted. What are the great solos on this album? What a treasure trove for guitar players this this album is. What an absolute treasure chest. It's full of great playing. And this feels very much like the the cool down of the album, you know, 
um, through the back end of the album, back end of the side. Lovely vocals by Rob now. The layering of Rob's vocals is absolutely superb there, isn't it? So it, it, that feels, it feels like the warm down, the cool down of, 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 of this album because they go into this, um, this next song. Something of a departure. See the kind of they used to apparently they they, they opened a few shows with this. Is is Glenn talks about it? It looked like a a a, a restaurant Chinese restaurant when the, the sun was going. But I, I imagine it'd be quite an interesting way to open a show. And it's just a really relaxed vibe, but it's got some great playing, and and maybe some of Rob's best vocal work. There's that bass playing as well by Ian Hill. Gives him real chance to stretch his legs this song, doesn't it? Of the setting sun. This is a bass player, eh? Ian's playing's incredible though, isn't it? It's the, the vocals in the background. That's a great... Is it a ballad? Yeah, it probably is a ballad. But the planes are so... You know, that's the, one of the reasons Glenn and KK is... Certainly Glenn is one of my favourite players of all time. He's just... The ability to write stuff within the song and the chordal work, like Eddie, you know, people talk about the lead work and how explosive that was and great, but it's also about the the rhythm and the construction of chords and you know, real sumptuous playing. That's a that's a superb song. Well, it's just full of hooks, simple, simple lines. And you probably you probably could have ended the album on this and it'd be it would have been absolutely fine. Let's do another great solo here. Beautiful stuff. Great solo. The harmonized parts are just absolutely ethereal, aren't they? 
and it feels like a wind down. It feels like a beautiful. They could have ended a set with that, couldn't they? Imagine like if they were playing a set and with the sun going down or something like that would have been pretty amazing. I know the, the Judas Priest think a lot of that song. It's it maybe another one of those sort of underrated Priest songs, possibly. And you could have ended the album on it. You really could have ended the album if it just went to Studio Fade now and, and did that. But they very cannily realised that, you know, that they need, that this is anthemic, Defenders of the Faith is anthemic. So you get this really, and I'd never heard it when I first heard this album. I'd never heard this before. This is the song Heavy Duty. And it's a half a song almost because the other half's taken over by the audience. And it's that rebel rousing hand fist pumping in the air, beating stuff. And they play this live all the time but during the tour because the it's the call and response. It's 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 almost there, we will rock you, you know. Just that classic sort of Metal Gods vibe to it, isn't it, you know? In the palm of my hand. And then the faders go up and... Just a great sort of... You know you've got the crowd on board. You could, you could open a, a show with this easily. And it feels like, okay, well, there's the next verse of this song. You know, it feels like, okay, where are we going with this? Real straightforward, like like very much reminds me of Metal Gods, like from British Steel. And then Rob goes, "Okay." Until metal, what a statement to the crowd. And this is just this as a teenager when I listened to this, just blew me away. It was like, "What? I'm not alone. What people that like this like this music? What? There's people out here who believe in this. This saves people's lives, like it saved mine. Amazing Rob vocal. Here we go. And just let this run forever." This is what the sound of Valhalla is. This must be like the sound of moving to, to another life, moving to, you know, another plane. We have a highway to hell or a stairway to heaven. This is the music it's playing. How triumphant, how amazing, how, you know, uplifting is, is this? Very much their queen, sort of. 
Rebel Arsenal, and it was made clearly with the intention of of, of getting the arena on board and you know, rousing big statements about what you are. We are defenders of the faith. So there you go, Judas Priest, defenders of the faith. And um, the two sort of things that, are, as a coda, it's worth talking about is obviously the thing that happened at Madison Square Garden during the the, the, the subsequent tour on the 18th of June, 1984. There's a riot at Madison, Madison Square Garden, and um, mainly Rob comes out on the bike and stuff and, and things like that. And the audience, I mean, quote Glenn, um, Madison Square Garden banned us for life. Quote. The audience went berserk and ripped all the seats out. Quote, they caused more than a quarter of a million pounds worth of damage to replace. Um, unquote. But what, what's interesting is that apparently they went back to see a tennis tournament of all things at Madison Square Garden. And one of the attendants was like, thanks for the, the new seats, guys. Because they used the time, the quarter of a million dollars worth of damage, they used it to refurbish the uh, Madison Square Garden. So, you know, <laughs> it's it's interesting that you know I think that they are still banned from Madison Square Garden. Rob talks about in the book in his book Confess they're still banned from from playing Madison Square Garden, even though they essentially caused it to have a nice refit. Uh, the other one was the Eat Me Alive controversy as well that happened. So the PMR MRC and Tipper Gore they they made this filthy fifteen, um, and it was like fifteen songs that they thought were maybe you know, subverting the, the youth of today, if you will. Uh, as as KK says, you know, quote, I won't deny that we included it if, if, with full knowledge that it would get a media attention, unquote, because you, you are going to do that when you do a song called Eat Me Alive, even if you, you don't realise the, the, the gay stance that, 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 that Rob was, was coming from in there and just see it as, you know, uh, uh, the, the sexual stance that's, that it's coming from. I mean, you have to understand that the 15, the Filthy 15 contains songs like Porn Wars by Zappa, um, by uh, Shibop by Cindy Lauper and Dress You Up by Madonna. All these massively subversive songs. It's nonsense. It's nonsense, obviously. But because of that, maybe it's somehow Defenders is slightly overshadowed by those two events that really try to take it away from why I believe it's it's one of the most classic albums of all time. It's certainly one of Judas Priest's classics of all time and a fitting uh, follow-up to, to Scream for Vengeance. Some would argue that Turbo it was where they they faltered, but for me, the two collective uh, bookends of Screen Prevention to the, and certainly Defenders of the Faith cements Judas Priest as a as a as an, a rock and a metal act forever. They 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 pretty much dine out forever off that. There now they, they they are in the pantheon of 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 those of those artists that are their own now and have cemented their own legacy. Am I wrong? Am I right? Did I get some of the commentary wrong? Do, do you prefer other songs? Is this the worst Judas Priest album? Is, is there other Judas Priest albums I should listen to? Is there other albums you should listen to? Please, as always, comment and message me and we'll we'll look at other albums. We'll do other album suggestions and we'll look at those and we'll listen in with them as well. I've had a lot of fun listening to this. I listen to an album quite regularly, but listen to it again. As it's meant to be, where you just sit and listen to the record is, is always a, a wonderful experience. And thank you. Uh, for sitting along and listening along with it as well. As always, 
Thanks for listening. I really appreciate your support and I will see you at the next one.